the world's two biggest Habs faders get their moment in the sun. It's Good Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis. J.D. Bunk is Justin Bourne joining us as he does every Bourne Monday. gets no credit. He doesn't get any credit? <laughs> no. Because, because you faded him for the first three rounds and that didn't yeah. work out? Bourne literally every game was just, I'm betting on the better team. <laughs> the better team to him was never the Habs. <laughs> that was his strategy over. Finally, he's just recouping, you know, the thousands of dollars that he lost on the first three series. Like, he's trying to scrap his way back to even. You know what's funny, though, is I actually, if if there was a plus minus on how it's all gone, I think I'm okay because I happiness hedged uh, Montreal yeah, against the Leafs. Yeah. So, like, well. I wanted the Leafs to, to get through just for the purposes of our show and for my yeah. <clears throat> career. <laughs> so <laughs> I uh, I made some money yeah. on games uh, five, six, and seven in, in round one. That balances things. Yeah. That was a component to the Leafs that I, I hadn't really considered when I was like, I'm going to turn my passion into my work. And then it turned out that I linked my monetary future to the most disappointing losers of all time. That was probably a bad call. I'm basically the dad in Van Wilder, but he never gets his act together. <laughs> you know? I'm just firing money into the college, and he's there. He's like, yeah, I'm taking... Uh, you know, uh, 19th century history. You're like, I don't care. I, I don't care what you're doing anymore. It's just it's hurting me in my wallet nonstop. Um, yeah. For those of you that don't know, Bourne and I do a segment called Picks in Deep on YouTube before every game. We're going to do one tonight. And, uh, yeah, if you do want to gamble with us, as always, give us a follow on Instagram and uh, shoot us a DM, and uh, we'll hit you with something to, to let, get Before you, going. you go on with that, J.D., let me ask yeah. you here, because you have bet Tampa in a sweep. Are you yeah. going to hedge it? Dude, um, this is one of my dumbest things as a human, where uh, I I'm just incapable of doing it. Like I'm, yeah. it's there's a mental block I have where it doesn't feel like winning. <laughs> it is. It is winning. I know. And I, dude, I actually this is the worst. I I actually had. Canada basketball in a shortened spread going into that final game as the last leg of a parlay. And I looked at what the checks were to win. And it was the same thing where I was like, I actually would have made more money had the checks won straight up. And I couldn't bring myself to do it, even in my mind, knowing like at the time anyways, there's just no way that they're going to win this basketball game. And I didn't even think that they would be able to cover. And what? That's admirable. I'm saying it's more than just the no. money for you. It's the principle. No, I respect that. There's very few things I respect about you, Jamie Bunk. But it's not. It's not a principle. It's not a principle. It's an idiot thing in my dumb brain. Like, that's I it. It's like, your I respect I would love to say that it's a principle and it's me, even, even if I tied it to something rational at all, but it's, there's nothing rational about it. I, could, I can win tonight good, a good amount of money if I just hedge. If I just hedge, I will win, and I can't. <laughs> I cannot do it. I don't yeah. know why. Maybe I will. Maybe this conversation will push me into the first hedge ever. But it's like anybody who wins hedging, do you really feel like you won? Well, that's, that's my thing, thing. Is I've done it before, and it never feels like a win. You're like, great, I you won some money. That's table. not why I gamble. Well, I know that exactly. sounds stupid, but it's not why I gamble. Yeah. Uh, let me just jump in here for a second. Because you gamble – 
not it's not your job, right? You're jo- you're not a professional gambler. You're not the knish yeah. here grinding it out, right? Like it's and this, this isn't is, going to be life changing money, right? No, like this if this is it's for this is one entertainment where, purposes only. Right. How entertaining is it to be like, well, I squeaked out, you know, a percentage of the winnings I could have had the other way? No, you're doing mm-hmm. it for entertainment purposes. It's way more entertaining to have way more mm-hmm. on the line tonight. Yeah, I actually do think that like if you're hedging something, you better have a lot of money on it. Like, yes, if, yes, if you yes. if you stand to win five grand if Tampa sweeps tonight, well, okay, yeah. maybe place a nice yeah. hedge bet on the Canadians. But I know you, and I know it's not that. Yeah. Um, God, I always feel like you should hedge against your uh, Survivor League pool teams when you're late in one. You know, yeah, when yeah, you could potentially yeah. win massive amount amounts of cash yep. when you're doing stuff like that or. Uh, a couple of years super ago, I had a friend who was in this pool, or sorry, not a pool. He had a parlay bet with all the different divisional winners, and it came down mm-hmm. to the very end where he could have won, you know, I think it was close to a hundred grand. And he was hedging some of those games, which was all right, but even still, it didn't feel like the same. Um, boy, yeah, we remember those shows, Ben? We were asking people if he should cash out for $36,000 oh, yeah. and buy a truck instead of just keep riding it and go for the 120 or whatever. And I, my argument at the time is still the same, but I do feel bad because I was on team don't cash out. He didn't cash yeah. out. He lost uh. everything. Um, uh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I That's said I, I, t- I take no blame for my position. My position remains the same, which is, you know, 36 grand is a lot of money and it's a great win, but... You know, winning the amount that he would have won had he actually done the damn thing. It's worse to cash out and and win than it would have been to not cash out and lose, if that made sense. Did that all connect? It's wrong. It makes sense, but it's incorrect. <laughs> it yeah, is. I don't care. Don't say I'm incorrect. I'm, I'm right. I'm right. I'm right on this. I've been right on my picks. Uh, I've been riding the halves. I'm not doing it tonight. I think right. it's done. So I have a few things I want to hit on with you today. And I don't know if I'm going to start with the goalies. Actually, let me just start with this, okay? Because this is the overriding conversation for all of it. And then I think I'll branch out into two things. How do you think you're going to remember this Tampa team? Mm -hmm. Uh, Good question. I I am not going to be like a ton of people right now who drive me absolutely mental. Be like, oh, the salary cap. Shut up. I, I mean... We've already had this conversation a million times. They played within the NHL's rules, and the, here they are. So it's not going to be that for me. I think I will remember them as a team that could play a variety of hockey. You know, like they can play against lockdown, tough, heavy Islander teams. Florida came in and tried to outscore them, and they hung in there in games that were, you know, 6-5 and 6-2, and, you know, they can they could go that way. You can't really out-nasty them. They had good goaltending. For me, it's just the versatility, I think, will be what I remember. I think that's a really good answer. Um, because Ben and I were discussing this on the phone last night, and I was saying how... They remind me of a non-cap team because they have everything. Like, there's just no area of weakness with this group. I never think, I never look at them and don't feel like the deck is stacked. And that's how I, the the, the team that I equated them to, actually ended up with some disappointment, but did also win when I was a kid, was not the Red Wings. It was actually the, uh, the Colorado Avalanche. Because I remember having those feelings as a kid of going, they have Rob Blake and Adam Foote, and now they have Patrick Waugh, and they have all these forwards. Like, they have Sackick, and they have Forsberg, and it's like, you would go through their lineup and just be like, where is the let-up with these guys? Like, they have everything. The difference 
with them and that group is one I'm going to get to in a second, which is like the age of the goaltender and where like that guy is in his career versus where raw was at that point in his career. But either way, like I do think that yes, versatility, that's a better way of putting it than depth because that's ideally the type of team that everybody wants, right? Where it doesn't matter the type of game. And that was what Toronto was striving for so much this season was a team that could win in different ways. And that's really what Tampa does is like, there's no type of game where you don't feel comfortable watching them play. Yeah. And what's really nice about it is there's a sense of validation. So We've had the conversation with, with – well, you and I have had it at least via text where you just say this is the dumbest sport. Like, you know, the, the worst team wins so often or the lesser team wins so often. You know, I think it, the analytics people will tell you that like a team can be favored. Like the worst team in the league versus the best team in the league has like a 65% chance of winning a game. Like that's – Ridiculous In basketball, the best team against the worst team probably wins 9 out of 10 games pretty consistently. It's just not the case in this sport. So for me, there's validation when a team looks this good and they win, and then they win, and then they win again. They go back-to-back. They get to cup. You know, they get to conference finals. Like, you need this in the NHL so you can show to fans that your sport's not stupid. Yeah. So you can say, <laughs> look at Chicago won three in a row. You know, Boston's always here. The Kings, you can be good enough that you can do this on repeat, and it's not utter randomness. Yeah, and you can compare and contrast to what we're getting in the NBA Finals. And, yeah, it's a weird year for the NBA because normally this is the NBA's deal is that you get the very right. deserving teams in the Finals. But, yeah, we're not. We're going to look back on this NBA Finals the way sometimes we look back on the playoffs in the Stanley yeah, Cup. Yeah, but we don't uh, have the two best teams in the Stanley Cup Finals, which is no, why but the we parallel have, doesn't work. Yeah, but we have the best, and the best one is going to win. And I, I'm with you, Bourne, because, yeah, sometimes this sport makes me pound my head uh, against the table. It's uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. It makes, you know, analyzing the sport a lot easier when the best team looks like the best team, they look like the dominating team, and the team that, not not a fraud, and a team that's certainly better positioned to win games in the postseason in the Montreal Canadiens, but one that's clearly overmatched looks overmatched in, in this uh, Stanley Cup Finals. That makes a yeah. lot of sense. Okay, and you know so. now, what we're going to be left with is they're going to win four in a row or something and we're just going to have to delete this episode. But anyway. Well, no, I think that there's a swinging narrative here. Just like in when I got when I set up this series, it was about swinging narratives with goaltenders and now there's going to be a swinging narrative with the salary cap. If Tampa Bay wins next year, then it's just going to be, well, this is the most dominant team of the era. This is the most well-constructed team. The culture that got guys to buy in to take less, blah, 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 giving more praise to all the rest of the guys. If they go into next year and they fall apart and they have to shell off a bunch of pieces, their team is its like, like not that hard because they can just get rid of Johnson's $5 million and then that gives them a lot more room to operate. And, yeah, he's been good for them, and he's always been someone who – I think is underappreciated as a dude who can go down to your fourth line, but then also play up. Um, but either way, he goes potentially, and you can still keep your like main cast of characters, the main guys of import. But even still, I, I do feel like if they lose Coleman, they lose uh, Johnson, they uh, they change their team and it doesn't work out, it goes back to them choking in the playoffs again, people are going to say that the reason that they won was cap circumvention, or it's going to be a part of it, right? Like People always look to create those narratives. Mm-hmm. But that's where I want to go with this, is like, they win it again, then yes, dominant team of the era. But I do feel as though casual fans and and regular fans, everyone has talked about the cap convention thing. And the main part of that has centered around Kucherov and how he had the hip surgery and that he was ready to go earlier and that it worked out for them and blah, 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 blah. 
And as I was watching him play throughout this series, the prevailing thought I've had is this guy is un not okay. Everybody knows he's an unbelievable player, right? But I actually think that in Florida, everyone talked about how Barkov is the underrated player. I don't think that's the case. I think that everybody has actually started to stamp Barkov with the he's so underrated that he's not overrated, but that we all know about him and that we all know what he does. That Kucherov is actually the lost guy. That we spend so much time mm-hmm. talking about Hedman and last year it was about Stamkos' injury and whether he could come back. Everyone loves talking about Braden Point because he plays the style of hockey that basically everybody can get behind. Kucherov was viewed as the cap circumvention guy, and I feel like it's been one of the biggest disservices to actually selling a star in this game where you have the perfect storm of a guy who's very quiet, a guy who plays on a very stacked team, and a guy who had a controversial thing around him that has led to this moment, which has culminated in a unbelievable lack of appreciation for someone who like, truly might be what like what is he the third best player in the NHL the second best player in the NHL the, the best player in the NHL like what is he it's a great question and yeah one that probably uh deserves some more analysis this summer just to like go back and really really pick through what it is because I can't tell you much about his defensive play maybe because I never see him play in that end of the rink because his team's so good but just like when the puck comes to him it's just there's such can, is dynamism a word? No, he's so dynamic. It's just like, you know, whatever it is he's going to do next, whether it's seem someone on the power play or take the one-time shot, he's just so, I don't know. There is just such a je ne sais quoi to his offensive game that it's uh, he's a delight to watch. And you're right, though. I, I do feel like we have totally shifted the best players in the game conversation to a place that centers around Canada with McDavid Matthews up here that, like, you know, Kucherov is is in that mix with him and McKinnon are, you know, the, that's the top four for me in the NHL. Well, it's I think it says something that, you know, you're asked to define what this Tampa Bay Lightning team is and what is the, the lasting image you'll have of this team that you talk about how well-rounded they are and how they can play different ways. But that, I mean, and you would have gotten to it if we let you run down the, the laundry list of things, but they have the best scorer in the postseason the last two years. And maybe, like, when it's all said and done that's of it. all time, like, that's it. We're, we're talking about a guy who played a zero regular season games, and granted, could he have played some uh, if, uh, if the cap situation wasn't what it was? But everybody we have on here talking about hip surgeries and the hip surgeries they've had, talked about how serious an injury and a surgery that is. But for him to step onto the ice immediately, and again, this is coming off a guy who was hurt, I know, and only played three of the four games in the four-game sweep at the hands of the Columbus Blue Jackets and a team that had not yet figured out uh, to get like one of the best third lines in hockey at that time, but had no goals in that series mm-hmm. to come back and do what he's done the last two postseasons. It, it's it, not it, just it's, the last two postseasons. The, yeah, it's it's not just the last radar. two postseasons. 2014-15, 10 goals in the playoffs. 16, yeah. 11 goals in the playoffs. 18, wow. 7 goals in the playoffs. Like, mm-hmm. he scores goals in the playoffs every single year. And that's why I go look at this and say, when we do the best player on the planet conversation, of course, he plays way better on a way better team that affords him better matchups. He's got an mm-hmm. incredibly intelligent coach who did the thing about getting away from Deneau in the first game. All those things are true, right? Like, I'm not going to say that he has less than McDavid or that he's better than McDavid. But the best players in most sports are the guys who do it on the biggest stage, right? That's always it. Is a guy clutch? Can a guy maintain that level of play? Can a guy be special on the biggest stage? And with hockey, we always say it's a team sport, duh. But we put this 
emphasis on winning, just like we do in all the other ones. And if you look at the history of the game, it's exactly like basketball in the sense of the best players always win. The yeah. best players always win. And if you look at the best player on Tampa Bay, they have Hedman, they have – they are loaded. They are loaded, loaded, loaded. They have arguably the best defenseman on the planet, and he is 100% the best player on their team. They have the best goalie on the planet. He's 100% the best player on their team. Yeah. What's so, what's so crazy is like there's almost an arrogance to them – you know, coming back from hip surgery to play your first NHL game in the postseason, it's it's like we know he's not going to be at his best right away. That's impossible to expect from someone. But we know we're going to play enough games that he'll get there. And like by now, he's like flying, right? Like he's hey, he's got enough games under his belt. It's clicking along and. To just think to this guy that they had enough going for them as a team that they thought they could put this guy in the playoffs. I just can't imagine if a guy like that was on Toronto uh, headed towards the postseason to be like, should you get him in a few games before? Should we send him to the American League? What are we going to do with this guy? Like, they just let him wait, <laughs> put him in. They knew they'd see enough playoff games. Well, we, we've all come to the realization, and uh, maybe too late, that the postseason is very different from the regular season, and the roster you construct during the regular season doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to translate to the postseason, as the Maple Leafs can very well attest, as the Montreal Canadiens could well attest. Kawhi Leonard, after that 2019 season, had a claim to be the best player in the NBA. He basically didn't play all regular season. Why aren't we doing the same about Kucherov, where doesn't play at all during the regular season, and he's, been a, he's won a heart trophy, he's been that damn good during the regular season. But if you're the best player in the part of the season that matters the most, why, don't, why can't you just put your hand up and say, I'm the best player in this league, end of conversation? Yeah, that's, that's pretty fair. The, um... You don't think if this guy played up in Canada, you're right, like that this would be happening all the time? Like, if this guy was Ovechkin personality, are yeah. we not already doing this? Yeah. No, it's, uh, that, that would probably change things a little bit where he had a bigger personality. It's so funny that guys his size, as pure scorers, going into playoffs, it's always like, oh, it gets hard then. It gets thick. So, you know, guys match you. The minutes are tough. You can't expect the same. And Kucherov's just out here just shooting it in the net. <laughs> you know, whatever. No big deal. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. He's under six feet tall. Yeah. This guy is not six feet tall. Would you call him Mitch Marner sized? Uh, well, Mitch Marner's that. taller than him. Yeah. <laughs> so no. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I just I'm I'm blown away by the guy, and I know that it's stupid because this is one of those conversations I feel like I'm I have where anybody in hockey or someone who would play on Tampa, like if we were doing this with Patrick Maroon, right? Like we'd be like, wow, he's amazing. He'd be like. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Wait, this is your job? You come yeah, on and you say that Kucherov is amazing? And I go, uh, yeah, I guess so. But it's true. It's just I, I can't remember a guy in the league that I watched who has got this resume, right? Where it's mm -hmm. goal scoring. He's a point-of-game player in the playoffs. And he's done it year over year. It hasn't just been on the stack team. And I know Tampa's always been good, but he's always done this. He was banged up this year in the playoffs. Like, couldn't finish a game, an elimination right. game. And came back and was fine in a game seven where his team eliminated the group. Then he goes in the playoffs against guys like Shea Weber. And remember before the series, I told you Shea Weber was going to try and hurt him right away. And he did, mm -hmm. right? He yep. immediately is like, right I'm going to try to maim this guy. And it cost him five grand. And he's like, worth it. Hasn't slowed Kucherov down a bit. He's just as dominant as ever. He just makes – he makes like two oh-my-god plays every single game. And sometimes they're on the power play where there's a little bit more space. But either way, he's just 
He's magical to watch. And I cannot remember a player of his ilk that was celebrated less despite having everything to his name. And right now, I actually think that it's tough because I think Vasilevsky will probably win Con Smythe, right? Do we all agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, but, the but Kucherov, part of me is like, he's, he's leading in points by like 10 points, isn't he? But that's, <laughs> but that's what I mean. It's like I, I go I, – I know it's just really hard when you have a goaltender who just – to me the defining game was game two at home. Yeah. And he just snuffed out everything Montreal had. They gave their best punch to make this a series, and he was like, go to sleep. I'm the best goaltender on the planet I, So as well. I don't disagree with you. I don't at yeah. all there, but he sucked last game. Like, they won by 6-3 or whatever, but, like, I yeah. thought all three goals were no bueno, so... The second uh, one actually, on Suzuki, Suzuki was... Yeah, yeah, real bad. Was, yeah the, I, the Perry one was perfectly placed, but still, yeah. I... You know, it, they, they got their one egg from Vasilevsky, and now they're going to go to game four. Good luck getting another. Yeah. Um, either way, I just... I actually think that they should give it to Kucherov. Is I think that the easy thing is always to give it to the goaltender and to a guy with those stats and who's done this, but I, I just think, yeah, it's, it's Kucherov. And that on a team where there are this many guys, for me to feel like this is his team is quite a thing. Yeah, no, it's the it's the truth. Well, this good. It's good that they win enough that we get to showcase them and have these conversations. Uh, if he if he was on a team not in the playoffs, I'm not sure what we'd be saying about him, if anything. So. It's good. I mean, we'd probably be gassing him up even more because we wouldn't have seen him, and so we'd be doing the Barkov thing. <laughs> like, it's true. It's like, like this a guy's mystery the man. Best player. He's yeah, he's the best player in the NHL. He's so underrated. Barkov became the thing for hockey hipsters to be like, I watch more hockey than just my team. And So true. I think that there's something about the Lightning where you don't really watch their games because they're so dominant, and yet they don't have... Like, that's the difference between them and those non-salary cap teams, is that the non-salary cap teams felt, like, special, and it felt like we knew the whole team, we knew the whole roster. Like, I think about the Red Wings, and I think about the Avalanche, most specifically from my lifetime, right? Like, the mm-hmm. Iserman teams and the Sackick teams. And, it felt like Olympic teams, those teams. Right, exactly. And if you look at this group of Tampa Bay players, it feels should feel the exact same way. Again, I think that there's a case to be made that they have... I don't like saying the best forward because McDavid is so special. But, like, a guy who – I don't even think you sh- we should ever talk about Austin Matthews is better than Nikita Kucherov again. Like, I actually think that that conversation of is Austin Matthews number two, like, no, he's not. The guy who at the very least is number two is the guy who's a point-of-game player in the playoffs and is going to have now his second Stanley Cup and has done it every single time he hasn't been hurt. Like, that's yeah. it. That's the only time Kucherov couldn't get it done was hurt or suspended. Period. Yeah, no, <laughs> you're making a good case here. I hadn't thought about it before, but there's a definitely good case here. Yeah, okay. So let's take a break, and then I want to talk about the goalie, though, because, yeah, I don't know what we're looking at historically here, but the, the narrative played out this way, and then also what the fallout is going to be for Carey Price. Yeah, game two, it's almost like everybody knew what was on the line for us in sports radio, and well done by playing into the narrative, uh, giving us uh, lots to talk about. It's coming up next. As we continue our conversation with Justin Bourne, it's Good Show, Ben Ennis, J.D. Bunkus, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. It's pretty incredible that Steve Eiserman was uh, the guy who built a team with the next like Steve Eiserman and Fedorov combo because like that's what I think about when I watch Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov is I'm like okay so that's what this 
this group is. It's just that Kucherov is somehow better than Fedorov. Like, that's what we're watching here is like a better Fedorov. Wow. Quite a thing. So we talked about legacies because this is the Stanley Cup Finals. And I actually do have a Leafs thing, of course, I'm going to squeeze in at the end of this thing. Um, coming into this Finals, I felt as though no one had more to gain and to lose than Carey Price. That, and it's obvious because he's the most famous player on either team by, I would say, a very wide margin. Um, but that if you looked at the totality of his trophy case at the end of his career, it's lacking compared to guys that he often gets compared against. And while he's had one of the best seasons a goaltender has ever had, and I think that you could strongly make the case that Carey Price at his very best is just as good as any other all-time great. What does make greatness is consistency and the ability to replicate that. And health is a part of it. Like, availability is a part of greatness. And so while there's different things that you can say about Price as to why he didn't get cups or more, uh, more Vesnas, more Jennings, whatever... The fact of the matter is is that he only has one of the two of those. He'll go down with a Stanley Cup Finals appearance, and that's, as of now, it. Maybe Montreal gets back here, but Carey Price, I think, is 33 years old, and I, I just I have a hard time believing that some of the conversations around him and his regular season play are not going to lead to be a guy that doesn't end up being over the hill, or on at least he's on the back nine of his career. We can all agree about that. So... He comes into this thing with a 934 save. This series, he's given up 13 with an 835. Um, what are we? What's going to happen tonight if Carey Price lets in another five goals? What's going to happen tonight if this Habs team gets swept? Does this actually change the way that we talk about Carey Price now and this run? And how does it alter his discussion amongst the all-time greats? So I have a theory that we are going to be able to better contextualize careers now than we used to be able to because of the amount of video and the internet and stats and just like the recording devices and the conversation is all captured uh, around these guys as it's happening and I think we'll, we'll recognize that in this final he was on a not very good team against what we will look back at as one of the best teams of the past you know pick your year total uh, for the NHL so like if you look back at guys in the 70s and 80s uh, you know years like that if obviously before that significantly so but like we don't have every moment recorded for history and we weren't all on a social media platform talking about it not just with the people in our house but talking about it with the whole of the hockey watching community or a large part of the hockey watching community so like we've we will remember what the context for Carey Price's career was that's that the Canadians teams he was on was not were not that great you know the year he went to the finals his team was not that great I think we'll remember those things. I think it's tough to compare against guys in the 70s and 80s because for them, it comes down to their numbers. I just look at their numbers and go, okay, well, this guy was that or the other thing. But I, I, I didn't see 10,000 gifts. Is that, am I on to something there? I'll just make a counter that you could use that as a case for, but I could also use it as a case against, which is that we now live in an era where there is less permanence than ever before, where 
it's always on to the next thing. Because you have the ability to watch every game and every highlight and every GIF, that continues throughout every single day. So we're always on to the next thing that we've got to watch, the next thing that we've got to pay attention to, the next thing that we need to talk about. And with Carey Price and with very many or with others, a lot of times we are going to have to simplify things down to like a trivia question. Everybody's got to know a little bit about everything, right? That's the era we live in. A little bit of everything. And with Carey Price, basically the only question is, I'm, and everyone's going to acknowledge he's a good goalie. I'm not going to, no one's trying to make the case that Carey Price somehow choked away this series or is even in any way to blame for this loss or that that context of Tampa Bay being great will not override like everything in terms of why one team won or why one team didn't. But when you say the name Martin Brodeur, you don't think about anything other than all-time great. You th say Patrick Wall, you say all-time great. You say Dominic Hasek, you say all-time great, right? And there's kind of like a murkiness to what the modern day, I'm putting all those guys into modern day. Is that unfair? I, I think it's no. not. I think it's like those are the modern day Mount Rushmore guys. To me, Carey Price has been kind of the other dude on that Mount Rushmore. Like, if you asked all the fans who've been watching hockey from the 90s forward, what is the Mount Rushmore of goalies? I think you'd get those three guys, and I think now Carey Price was the dude from that era. And I don't think that's going to be the case anymore. I think that Vasilevsky has now stamped himself onto that Mount Rushmore with this win, with the way that he's played. Flurry there? I don't think so because Flurry's had too like Flurry's had too many chokes, right? Like yeah. all those other guys don't have you know. I I I just don't see it. I I don't see him being the guy that's there. I think there's cases for other guys, but to me, Carey Price has now slid into the the very good Hall of Famer, but the the very good wall. Um, but he's never going to be on the Mount Rushmore again. Like the Mount Rushmore Carey Price conversation, I kind of feel like it dies here, and that. The only case you can make is it's like the Mount Rushmore of all time seasons since the 90s. Like, I, I don't know what you do with that. But to me, you can't have a sub-900 save in a Stanley Cup Finals. And you can't lose to a goaltender who's now going to have two cups. And the trophy case that he has at age 26, who's going to keep rolling with this Tampa team. Like, do you guys... Vasilevsky is amazing. Like... I, I, like the, I know he let in a couple of those bad goals that we no, talked man. about, but for the most part, he is just you know a, a momentum killer, uh, just a heartbreaking goaltender who has the like perfect combination of just like size, calmness in the net, great feet. Like you can't score on him low. I, I I think that Vasilevsky has now basically taken it and been like, I'm the modern day goalie. I'm the guy you remember from this era, not not Carey Price. Yeah, I, yeah, I think Price had. So I I get what you're saying, but I think Price had more to gain and less to lose in this cup final. Like, mm. he was talked about, you know, you were talking about if you carry Price and the way we perceived him heading into this playoff No, he run. doesn't go below where he was, right? Like, he doesn't go below his place. But, yeah, I just, I almost feel like not getting that gain is a loss, if that makes sense. Like, that's such yeah. a loss not but being able to be on that Mount Rushmore. I think maybe if you're looking at the series and, you know, projecting him as a guy who yeah if he gets it done and wins a cup here how that changes then yeah he is it's significantly different um but yeah as you're saying like if you already perceived him as one of those guys who is in that echelon his performance in this postseason shouldn't detract from that but yes i i we were getting somewhere where it was changing 
the narrative around him was changing from one of the better goalies of his era to like, oh, wow, if he brings this Canadian team to a Stanley Cup, what are we talking yeah. about at that point? And yeah, it does look like he's not going to reach that that peak of, uh, you know, the, the, the cherry on top. The thing you would say every time that you introduced him after his career, if they'd got it done this postseason, was Carey Price, Stanley Cup champion, yada, yada. The team wasn't that good, <laughs> you know, but that's not yeah. happening now. Well, I just feel like we're losing a little bit of context of this postseason for him as well. And not to say that he's been bad. Like, he's been great. He's been everything they've needed and had massive, massive moments in all three of the first rounds. But what was the thing that we said almost, like, ad nauseum after every single round? It's like, he was great, but man, I really thought it was going to be Carey Price putting up 50 safe performances game after game after game. And they lose an overtime game against Vegas where they give up one high-danger shot the entire game. It ends up in overtime and it ends up behind him. And I'm sorry to, to like choose a sample size of a single game in what is going to probably be a four-game sweep. But game two, massive. Everybody right in their obits after game one. And people are pointing to the game one loss against Vegas. And, hey, they can bounce back from that. They do. They're doubling them in shots. And he gives up the Sorelli goal. And that's the game. And Vasilevsky has his best game of the series, obviously, with the 42 save performance. Like, how is how are we not looking at that as an absolute series-changing, defining moment where if he comes up with not even his best game ever, it, not even his best game of the postseason. A good Carey Price game. Maybe they're going to overtime. Maybe they're winning one nothing, And all of a sudden, they're down 2-1 in the series instead of 3-0. One of my favorite sport pieces of like sports uh, analysis, I guess, was Tony Romo talking about Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady in the Super Bowl and that Mahomes had the chance to beat Brady in that Super Bowl, get close the ring gap from 6-2. to two. You've got, He's got this career ahead of him. You know, instead, Brady wins. It goes 7-1, and all of a sudden, it's like, okay, well, that's, like, insurmountable now. Like, it was a huge moment for Patrick Mahomes. That might be what we have with Price and Vasilevsky here. Like, if Price wins and they go to 1-1 in cups, and, you know, now there's all this case behind Carey Price for bringing a team to the final. Vasilevsky couldn't get it done. You know, maybe that was a moment where we talk about them differently, but uh, I do see how a Vasilevsky cup, and now it's 2-0, and yeah, move away, and Vasilevsky starts to become the guy for this generation of goaltenders. Yeah, I just, I think he kind of has to be. Um, again, um, it's it's not just the one Vesna, it's the fact that he's, I shouldn't say the fact, but the belief that he is going to win more than the one that he's got. It's that he would have the two cups and potentially get a Con Smythe versus Carey Price. Like, I think that's on the... You know what? This is one of those um, games, and maybe we actually under-discussed it, where it does feel like the closing game can be the thing that actually tips the scales for whoever wins this award. Because I, I think it's razor thin between he and Kucherov. That it's those two guys now. There's nobody else in the conversation. Um, but if they win tonight and Vasilevsky gets a shutout, um, like Montreal gives them a good push, I I would say that he's probably going to get the recency bias push and, and get it over the goal line and they'll give it to him. And, and if Kucherov scores a goal and uh, or gets two assists and it's a 4-2 game, then it's probably going to be him. But... Yeah, I, I do think that we are going to weirdly, like, this series has put Vasilevsky on the map more than anything else throughout his entire career. More than the Vesna, more than last year's Cup against the Dallas Stars, certainly. Like, yeah, you're right, doing it against Carey Price matters. And, yeah, Carey Price, as much as this sucks, 
because I'm a huge Carey Price fan. Like I, the the only reason that I felt okay about Montreal potentially winning a cup is that um, I do believe Carey Price is the, one of the best goalies that I've ever seen. Like I have Hasek as my number one, always and forever. But like I have a, a my own personal belief, and this is like almost blasphemy. I'll just say it, but it's like. I think that Carey Price is more talented than Martin Brodeur. And I feel like if you would have flipped them or whatever, that it's like, I don't think Brodeur has the cups. I think Carey Price does and whatever. But ultimately, the thing that will be bandied around is if he lets in four goals tonight, he's going to finish with a sub-900 save percentage in the Stanley Cup Finals. And I don't care who you face. That's a stat that's going to stick forever. Uh, yeah, and you're not not guaranteed to get back to do much about that. So no, no. I mean, it it is. Uh, these are big moments. These are career defining moments. That's what we. Uh, uh, you know, I think for us is in our jobs, we love this stuff too. I don't know if fans do as much as we do, but it is. It's exciting to watch it play out. I think they do because, like, what are fans talk like? We all, I always think about this with the topics that we're going to do on the show and how we're going to discuss them. And I think that there's a measure of I want sharp analysis from someone like you know you or when I'm watching the broadcast, I want to hear Bxa break down a play, right? Um, when I watch Elliot Friedman, I, I want to hear him discuss how the league is taking shape, but for a conversation show that's on the radio, I think that these are the conversations people have is like, how was Carey Price one of the best four goalies in your lifetime? And yeah. for me, I just, I think it's very, very hard to make that case now. I really do. Like you have to stretch it and you have to turn, like everybody can have a what if, right? Everybody can have what ifs. What if X, what if Y, blah, 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 blah. The fact of the matter is we have to judge these guys on what actually happened. And with Carey Price, there's no case for what actually happened now where you can make him a top four guy. You just can't. It'd be interesting how that affects Hall of Fame conversations. I know every, everyone already has him in the Hall of Fame. Oh, he's I definitely think. getting in. Like, it's funny. Everyone, so, I, yeah, I guess. <laughs> you know, just statistically, I guess, longevity too. Yeah. Mark? No, yeah. Okay. And also that it's the Hockey Hall of Fame and way worse guys have gotten in. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to name the guys who've gotten Olympic in, but yeah. uh, like, let's just say that um, last summer <laughs> was worse than anything. Like, uh, I, there's no debate. And especially like knowing kind of how this thing gets done. Uh, yeah. Carey Price, I promise lock, you, he's going to walk into there. He's not, uh, yeah. Uh, he's, uh, first ballot, dunk of a dunk. There's a 0% chance that he ever misses. I would say that. I'll even make it this confident. There's zero percent chance he doesn't go in his first ballot. Wow! Like that's You're... that's how confident I am about Carey Price's future in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Like that's just going to get done. I want to pivot quickly because I want to do one quick Leafs thing. Because um, you're off next week. Um, what do you think about Dubas prioritizing the bottom end guys here? Because I thought Nick Kiprios made a really great point on our show last week as to what's the urgency here. You have Guy and Jason Spezza who says he's going to retire if he's not a Leaf. Wayne Simmons is not going any. What's the market for Wayne Simmons? Um, aren't those already certainties that you don't really need to actually allocate dollars to before you maybe start doing more of the heavy lifting? Like I, I, I don't know. This this almost feels like a statement. And I hate saying that because it probably isn't, but it's it, to me it's, it's actually pretty odd when you step back and look at what happened and what they've done so far. It's weird. Yeah, you know, there I would be curious to know the uh, the logic behind doing it quickly. A couple things come to mind, like is it expansion draft related uh, in terms of guys that are contract or who they could grab? Um, is 
is it relationship related? Like, you know, these guys are going to be here. Um, and so no, no need to leave them twisting in the wind, but you're right. Why do you know that before the big things have happened? If any big things are going to happen, I, I agree. I tend to agree looking at this, that there would be no reason to rush any sort of roster fringe decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm finally, uh, I'm over on, on the camp now that like, this is it for Dubas for this next season. Like we've had a lot of runs of, uh, different versions of what the team has looked like. And this is it, this next season, it's got to happen for him. Uh, or, you know, I, I think it's potentially job threatening. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand why that would have to happen right now. Uh, there must be some personal motivations involved because it, uh, it does seem unnecessary. To me, I, I was also thinking about another part of that Nick Kimfrios conversation about how Nick Kimfrios is still making coin after being uh, Toronto Maple Leaf, right? That uh, I think Wayne Simmons is moving into that phase of his career where the finish line is fast approaching, thinking about things after hockey and the idea of signing a contract. I, I get it, $150,000 more than Jason Spezza, and there's no way he's going to be a more valuable player uh, judging on recent success than Jason Spezza. But the idea that it's still under a million bucks and that you could bury it, that he could go away if he's not performing. He can either be in the press box, he can be technically uh, shuffled off to the Marlies. That I think that both these guys are just no-brainers. Like, Spezza was a no-brainer. Like, we're not arguing on Spezza. It feels like Simmons is a separate one yeah. because his performance, whether it was derailed you by injury... You believe that, though? Like, that, like, you believe that that's... I don't think that's a conversation that they've had. I, I don't... Oh, I, I have to. I, I don't I think I mean, how that can you told... watch a, what Wayne Simmons gave you in the postseason, what Wayne Simmons gave you when he returned from the injury and say, like, we're banking on this guy and we're, we're even though it's a two-year deal, that we're guaranteeing you, you do that 82 players. games. I think that you kick that conversation down the line if it ever needs to be there, which is like, this is the hard decision we're making. I don't think you sit down at the contract table no. and negotiate and say, like, hey, just so you know, if you don't play well, said. we're going to bury you. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think that's a thing. I, to me, I... I can't help but read into this and just say, "All right, I don't think it's Vegas expan or sorry, Seattle expansion because why would it be like um, you're thinking they're going to take one of the like I I don't know what the reasoning would be for Seattle. I feel like we just throw Seattle at things where we're like we don't understand, so it must be that's a Seattle exactly thing. what we I'm go. doing, yeah. And no it's idea. yeah, and it's just it's it's the thing that we paper over with everything. Um, do I think it's a bad thing to have those guys back at those numbers? No, because they remind me of baseball where you go, there's no such thing as a bad minor league yeah. deal. It's hard for me to say that there's something that's bad about deals that are less than $1 million for players of their ilk, right? Just to me, right. I actually do look at Kyle Dubas as sort of a statement guy. And I kind of feel a little bit like when we discuss the whole blue and white thing and how people are not accountable, like – auto bringing back and auto slapping contracts extensions on guys feels like it's not your fault and that everything's cozy and that we're going to return the same room and I know everyone keeps saying that there's a big deal in the works and I'm sure there will be I, I don't think Kyle Dubas is sitting on his hands I don't think that he thinks it's perfect I don't think he doesn't feel urgency to move something just it, it felt a little bit like I'm doing these moves at this time in part to be like it we got unlucky, and this formula works, 
and these guys were fine, and they gave us what we wanted, and here's what we're doing moving forward. I also feel like it's a little unfair for me to lump the two players in with one another, considering how yes. good Spezza was and how bad Simmons was, but yeah, I, I thought the Simmons signing especially was a, a little bit of that. A little bit of a middle finger to everybody who's been doubting this team and what got built this last year. You know, I, I also think it's possible that we missed how valuable that that room felt it was at times to have someone who could knock someone's head off their shoulders, you know, yep. and this is something that those guys want. Um, you know, w- whether some sort of security blanket is a guy who can actually play, who can, you know, provide that element for your team. You know, I think it's possible that they're saying, I don't see this as part of our, you know, a huge part of our solution, but for that much money to have a guy like that for the regular season, we'll see how it's going come playoffs, if he's able to crack our 12 or not then. I agree. Let, again, I, I keep trying to make this clear, but I have no problem with the signing. I have more problem with the timing. I think taking off any measure of flexibility for things that are a certainty for you is just weird business in general. Like, mm-hmm. it's if you know a guy is going to be there for you in the seventh round because no one else knows about him, take him in the seventh round. Don't draft him in the fifth because you get worried about them getting something else. Like, I just don't see what the other option was going to be for these guys or why you had to do the timing. That's all. I just question the timing. Last one. I actually think that the Leaf that should return the most is Freddie Anderson. And I know everyone thinks that I make a weird thing on the show about Freddie, but the weird thing is just that I simply think that he's a good goaltender. As of right now, when we're talking about like options and ways to improve this team, I don't know how you improve on Anderson. And it obviously depends on the cap number and a whole bunch of different things, but there's a report that the two sides have engaged in a discussion and that there's that Anderson's open to it. I guess you can't really afford to say that you're not open to returning to any situation when you're coming off the year that he just had or the two years, I guess, maybe that he just had. But this just makes a lot of sense to me. What what do you guys think? Because after the season, I would have thought that there was 0% chance and that he actually would have said, no, I'm out of here. I I want anywhere where they're going to give me more of the opportunity. And now I kind of look at it and say, what's the option that's better than Freddie Anderson next year? And if you can tell me, that's cool. But if you can't, then I don't want it. Well, I think it's like you have to look at it. So they're going into playoffs next season Mm -hmm. with the the past X amount of years. And Freddie Anderson's the guy. Like, Mm -hmm. are, are, are you comfortable with that? And it's possible the answer is yes. I'm yeah. not like a hundred percent uncomfortable with it. I don't love it, but mm-hmm. you know, is there Darcy Kemper available? Like, can we make a trade to make that happen? You know, is is there something else you can do? But you're right. Like, it's easy to say get rid of a guy, but what is the solution? What so that that comes down to, you know, what balls does Dubas have in the air? What are they interested in? But you're right. There are worst case scenarios, and will Freddie come back at three and a half times three? <laughs> you know, like how yeah. low is he willing to play hockey for? Well, Darcy Kemper is $4.5 million, and he's a pending free agent, which would lead me to believe that the cost of acquisition would be pretty high. I I don't think that you're just getting Darcy Kemper for nothing, right? Like, this isn't someone where um, the team is just going to say, oh, yeah, we'll just give him away. It's totally fine. And the Leafs have given up already quite a bit. So, to me, it's just about, like, asset allocation. So, yeah, would I rather have Darcy Kemper next year than Freddie Anderson? Of course I would. But if we're just looking at the free agent class, Tuka Rask is not coming here, right? You're not signing 40-year-old Pekka Devin Dubnik is 36 years old. Why, why would you want that? Antti Ranta? Nope. Okay. So what, James Reimer? Like, I, I'm just saying that these are the next options. It's literally the Carolina goalies, Reimer and Mrazek. 
You're not going back to Jonathan Bernier. Like, what, you're going to re-sign David Riddick and he's going to be the guy? Like, I just, again, find me the free agent who makes 1% sense. You're going to sign Mike Smith? Like, where? After Mike Smith, it's a complete cutoff of, like, even passable NHL talent or guys that aren't even lottery tickets or guys that I've, like, not even heard of before. Well, so I, I just I, – if you don't have a lot that you're dealing with anyways when it comes to goalies, right? Or, sorry, when it comes to picks and prospects, Leafs can't give up picks and prospects anymore. They're completely capped out. Like, they have to keep those pieces now. They've already done those moves. What are you giving up to acquire a goaltender versus what it would cost you to keep Freddie Anderson in the drop-off and play between Kemper and and Freddie, depending on the dollars, of course, and the term. But I, I just, to me, it looks like the most reasonable solution. It's a one-year deal, right? He's he's not Freddie Anderson is not getting a Broski deal that we no no no. Like, but I don't think it would be one. I think it'd be like two or three if he returns. Wow, this is a guy who had a sub 900 save percentage, right? Yep. He's put a huge amount of miles on the tires. Is into his 30s. Like, there's a reason to believe he's very much in the downswing of his career. And if I'm him, which is why he's not taking a one-year deal. But I, I don't know. If you're him, you probably believe that you can have a bounce-back year and then re-enter free agency at 32 and then maybe get that two-, three-year deal. So maybe it's like a, like a Jose Bautista situation where it didn't work out for the Blue Jays, where you're both trying to save face on the short-term deal and then re-enter free agency. Whatever he ends up signing for, it's going to be more um, more than what Jack Campbell is making. But I pretty clearly you go into a season where either there's no clear number one, it's a timeshare, or he's the number two goalie. Uh, if you're the Oilers, how do you not sign Freddie Anderson? <laughs> you know, like it, it. You know, the numbers in length we're talking about for Anderson, I, it's just impossible to me to believe that there's not someone who wants to give this guy three, four years. That's at, why. You know, four million bucks or something, right? That's that's why. That's why I don't think that the Ennis scenario works. And because we always do this, right? We've done this a billion times with a billion different players. The whole, why doesn't he take one year? And it's like, why? Because there's way more than that out there, and guys don't ever take one year over like why is Freddie Anderson going to stay in Toronto at this point on a one-year deal when he can get a three-year deal with Pittsburgh or a three-year deal with Edmonton like yeah you don't think the Oilers are like there's just teams that are going to give him term they might not give him the money he once thought he was getting you're right he's definitely not getting the Bobrovsky deal that he once might have dreamed of but there's I, I there's going to be a market for the guy who's the best goalie on the market as a free agent like, I just listed you guys all those names. Did you hear one that you'd rather have than Freddie Anderson next season if you're a competing Philip team and you want somebody who's... Anti-Ranta? I don't know. Yeah, so those are the two guys. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's not... It's really not a sexy list of players. And, again, it's about what can you actually give up for a goaltender and what is the price point difference? Yeah, no, that's... Uh, they're, they're in a bit of a pickle there, so... Because, <laughs> well, like, yeah, I always hear people go, like, trade for John Gibson. I'm like, okay, um, that's not going to be free. <laughs> like, that's, yeah. Jo- like, the Anaheim Ducks aren't just, like, uh, fourth-round pick and uh, what what do you got? Uh, Rodion Amberov? Yeah, let's yeah. do that. No, it's yeah. not a thing. Nope, it's not uh, not going to be easy. You may have to come to grips with the, the return of Freddie, which would be wild. I think fans would uh, not like that. Yeah, well, I mean, and then there's the the words of CJ rattling around in my head that, yeah, the idea of getting a goalie on the cheap uh, this offseason is uh, not necessarily what the uh, Maple Leafs are trying to do. Uh, it's in, <laughs> one of the most interesting positions that the Leafs have to address this offseason, despite the fact that they might have their number one goalie. Uh, Borny, great stuff as always, buddy. Talk again soon. See ya. All right, thanks, fellas.